Today's gospel reading from Jesus, today's, is somewhat threatening. It's somewhat threatening, especially for our modern world. It's a threat. Why is it a threat? Because it says sin exists. It's a threat because if my brother sins against me or my sister sins against me, I have an obligation to them to tell them that they've sinned against me. And win them back over to love. The world doesn't want to say there's sin. The world doesn't want to say there's anything wrong with breaking any of the Ten Commandments whenever you choose to. So what Jesus is saying is you are designed, that we are designed to love. To receive love, to give love. And any of the Ten Commandments we break is a sign love isn't in us. Fully. When I gossip, when I cheat, when I steal, adultery, taking God's name in vain, all signs that love doesn't exist fully in me yet. And so it's threatening. But it also shows us the love of neighbor. The love of neighbor. I care enough about you that I'm actually going to tell you something. It's an act of love to tell somebody they've sinned against you. And Jesus pushes this so far that he doesn't even say, this is the first thing, right? <laughs> when it comes to sinning against one another, especially in like gossip or talking behind people's back. Jesus said strictly, go to the person who's wronged you and talk to them. That's not in our human nature. When somebody's wronged us, what's the first thing we do? Tell everyone else except the person that wronged us. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Go to the person who wronged you and talk to that person. Instead of making it worse. So Jesus is very clear. Go to that person. If that doesn't work, if he does, great. You've won him over. If you brought him back into union with you, with the church, and with God, great. But if it doesn't, bring two or three others. So that facts can be established. So that perspectives can be shared. And once when that happens... If they don't listen to you then, then tell the church. Let the church get involved. Tell the church, hey, you're thinking about, let's not do those things. And the most dramatic move ever, if they don't listen to the church, then kick them out. This isn't a power trip of the church. Have you ever heard the term excommunication? That's what that is. When, we, when the church excommunicates somebody, what it's supposed to do is radically rock their world. To say, I've been kicked out of God's bride. It's not a power trip. It's a humility thing. What do I have to do to come back? We're so far off of reality that we're excommunicated that we 
battery must have died. We're so far kicked out of that love that we need to come back into the fold. And actually, Martin Luther himself was excommunicated. He was excommunicated from the church. This is the beautiful part. By the end of his life, he was brought back into the fold. On his deathbed, he repented, saying, I never meant to do what I meant to do, what happened. So even Martin Luther came, came back into the fold. There's a whole bunch of different people that have been kicked out and have come back. It's a radical world. It's a radical reality. And it's a hard one because our motivation is love and our motivation is that first reading. The wicked will die and be judged in their wickedness. But if you don't tell them that they need to repent, you will be liable. This is the burden of being Catholic. This is the burden of being a passive, a bishop, a cardinal, the pope. Out of love, we have to say this truth. We have to preach the truth. It's not only for your ultimate good, eternal life for every single human being, but it's also for our own good. Because if I don't, I'm held liable. We're held liable. If I'm not being authentic in what the truth is, then I'm held responsible. Nobody takes on the role of being pastor. Nobody takes on the role of being bishop, cardinal, pope, lightly, or shouldn't. It's not something that I took on going, this is a good idea. The Lord called me to it. And so there's this obligation to love and bring people back into that love. And then St. Paul, in that second reading, the fulfillment of the law is love. If we look at the Ten Commandments, very simply put, all of that is to not love. Every single one of them is to not love. God basically said, I'm calling you to love. Don't do these ten things. In the garden, right? I love it. The garden. Adam and Eve. Don't eat of the tree. What did Jesus what did God say before that? You have the entire garden. Everything here is yours. But don't do this one thing. And what do Adam and Eve and what do you and I and our brokenness get focused on? The one thing. Instead of the good stuff. All of the good stuff. All of the things that the Lord's given us. So we're bringing people back into the fold. We're bringing people back into love. Because what is love? Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is to will the good of the other as other. 
so I don't get anything out of willing their good. And what is everyone's ultimate good? Eternal life with God. So what Jesus is proposing today is how do I get my brother, how do I get my sister there? I'm not necessarily worried about their feelings, although I have to be sensitive to it. How do I tell them the truth? How do I let that truth set them free? And this is the caveat. How do I do it in love, in understanding, and in wisdom in order to bring them back into the fold? To tell somebody they're wrong is normally not a good way to start a conversation, right? Who here started conversations that way? You're wrong. Okay. What's the best way to do this? This was also a fraternal correction thing. So Jesus, right, he's he's at the very end. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What is bound on earth, bound in heaven. What is loose, is loose. In heaven. What is Jesus going at? It's heaven reality that we're talking about. It's not an ego reality. It's not me versus you thing. It's us with God thing. Totally different categories. I'm telling you you're wrong because you are unloving towards me. And I want both of us to be loving towards each other and to God. If you ever go over to Rome or if you go to Europe... In some of the, even I think we have a few old cathedrals or basilicas or whatever, churches in our America. But it used to be a long-standing tradition that um, off in the corner sometimes you can see a hat hanging from the really, really tall rafters of the ceiling. And it's a wide-brim hat. It's pink. It's about this big. And they hang from the ceiling by a piano wire. Underneath the hat is where the cardinal is buried. The cardinal's buried under that hat because the tradition is until that hat falls, that cardinal is in purgatory. The hat is attached by piano wire, which means the hat is not going to fall until it either decays or the church falls down. It's not a burden that anyone wants to take upon themselves. Luckily, God gifts the cold. He doesn't call the gifted necessarily. So there's always grace at work in our lives. There's always the ability to grow in our faith, our hope, and our love, and to bring people into this this fold of love, this life of love, this existence of love. But there's also the added responsibility that we have here to share that truth with others, to share that love with others. Like I said, it's a very threatening thing. First, I have to say you're wrong. But how do we best do this? We practice it all the time in seminary. 
This is my advice. All right, if you take nothing else from today, this is how you correct somebody. I love you. Here's something that you could work on. And I love you. Even if you don't change. Because what happens when we correct somebody and we say, hey, by the way, you're doing this wrong. We get defensive. Our guard goes up. We get aggravated. Whatever. But if I first remind you, I love you, I want your good, I've loved you always, here's one thing that you could work on. And even if you don't change, I still love you. That's the best way to go about paternal correction. Because what does love do? It opens us up to that dynamic of receiving somebody's criticism, positive criticism. And it reminds me, because of love, I want to change. Oh, that's right. You do love me, and I do love you. So what do you need me to do? It reminds us that change is possible inside of love, and that we want to do that. So Jesus calls us to call out our faults. Call out our own faults. Call out our siblings' faults. Call out our friends' faults. Call out our loved ones' faults. In love. Not out of pride. Out of humility. Out of suggestedness. But really, what Jesus is getting at is to win him back to love. Win him back to himself, to the church, and into eternal life. Forever. Ultimate good of every single human being. Eternal life. In order to get there, we need to act in love. We need to be people of love. We need to show the world our love and bring them back into the fold. As we receive Jesus today, who gives us the strength and courage and wisdom to do this, let's ask him, Lord, what in my own life do I need to bring up? What sins do I need to bring up? Give me the wisdom, courage, knowledge, know-how of having that conversation with whoever about whatever to bring them back into that fold. Because we are held liable to one another, to God, for what we know and what we do with what we know. And lastly, pray for me. My article this weekend, pretty much praying for pastors. Pray for me. It's just that this responsibility, really I do it well, do it lovingly, do it kindly. Um, Yeah, the burden not to be taken lightly. So thanks for your prayers and know of my prayers.